Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is the For the Love of Film podcast. Um, for this episode, uh, this is the first episode of season three. Uh, I'm going to talk about two films that I saw in the theater. One film that I watched on home video and one that is actually not a film. It was a mini series on Netflix, but it ties into the film I saw on home video. So I figured I would cover that as well. Um, so I'm going to talk about the film Glass, the film Vox Lux, the film The Plague Dogs, and then the Netflix uh, mini series of the new adaptation of Richard Adams' Watership Down. So, first and foremost, I'm going to talk about Glass. So, I'm going to keep it as spoiler free as possible. Um, uh, this is M. Night Shyamalan's newest film, uh, it is the third part of a trilogy, um, which is, uh, it, 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 what are they calling it? Um, uh, it's got a, it's got a weird name for the, for the trilogy. Uh, the East Rail 177 trilogy, which does not easily roll off the tongue. Uh, the East Rail 177 is a train crash, um, train derailment that happens in the film Unbreakable, which came out 19 years ago, which is the first part of the trilogy. And then, uh, 20... 17's split was the second part and um for those of you not aware uh, split it, it's revealed at the end of split that it's in the same universe that the movie unbreakable takes place in bruce willis reprises his role as david dunn and this isn't really a spoiler because it's all over the uh trailers and the press for this movie glass so um, Glass picks up not long after the events of Split. Um, it's not stated exactly when, but you know it could be a couple weeks, maybe a month or two at the most. But um, you know, it's, it, it it takes place you know not soon, not long after the uh, the events of Split, and it picks up. Uh, not only what David Dunn is doing, but it also explores uh, what Kevin Wendell Crumb, uh, who is played by James McAvoy, um, he's uh, he has twenty three different personalities, and uh, explores what he's doing. He's still on the loose. Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Elijah Price, aka Mister Glass, and then. Uh, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy reprises her role as Casey Cook from Split and Spencer Treat Clark, who plays Joseph, David Dunn's son. He's grown up in this. He was a child in Unbreakable. And then Sarah Paulson is a new character in this. Basically is treating the three leads, you know, the Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, and James McAvoy, saying that they have some sort of delusion that they don't actually have superpowers and is trying to um, cure them. Uh, I was looking forward to this movie. I really enjoyed Split. Um, I really... Unbreakable, I think, is one of M. Night Shyamalan's best films. And it's funny because Split, you know, a lot of people... It, it did 
fairly well critically, and a lot of people had kind of given up on M. Night Shyamalan, myself certainly included. And Split was the first, in my opinion, the first worthwhile film he had done in probably about a decade. So I was looking forward to this film. I have to say um, Glass was a huge disappointment. Um, uh, It's not his worst film. That's still The Happening with Mark Wahlberg, but it's close to one of his worst films. It's it's all over the place tonally, which is not necessarily a bad thing all the times, but for this film, it definitely is. Um, you know, I feel really bad for James McAvoy because he really gives another stellar performance doing the multiple personalities and not making it a complete gimmick, a ridiculous thing. It's, it's a fairly grounded performance. Um, you know, Bruce Willis gives a capable performance as David Dunn. Unfortunately, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, he either completely underacts because he's his Elijah Price is catatonic for a lot of the film, and then really overacts later. Um, and I'm sure this was M. Night Shyamalan's direction because he's always like like George Lucas. He's always been more of a storyteller than an actual filmmaker, in my opinion. Uh, he he uses the same kind of tricks um, or lack of tricks with actors over and over again. There's a lot of characters staring at off into the distance or staring at other actors. And there, there is a ton of that in this. Most of the dialogue is completely ridiculous. And there's, there are several shots. That's just a close up of Sarah Paulson's face just talking, she's talking to one character or another, but she's really addressing the camera, addressing the audience. And her character and her motivation are completely ridiculous from the get-go. And I'm not going to reveal the twist, which, you know, M. Night Shyamalan is known for having a twist in almost all of his films. The twist at the end is completely ridiculous. It changes her motivation, and it, but it doesn't make it, doesn't make any more sense. It makes basically all of the goodwill that Split earned M. Night Shyamalan, it completely wastes that. Uh, and this movie just kind of unravels at the end. And uh, what he does with all these characters to sort of tie it together uh, feels somewhat like a betrayal to what we've invested in these characters in both unbreakable and split as separate films. And, you know, this never fully feels like two film. It it doesn't feel like it ties the two films together. It basically feels like someone's trying to braid a piece of yarn and a piece of wire together. And it doesn't make a cohesive whole. It's just the parts rub against each other and, it's really dissatisfying. You know, it's early in the year. This is only, I've only seen, I believe, eight films in the theater so far this year. It's the end of January, but uh, this was by far the worst film I've seen so far this year. I'll be interested to see if this ends up being in my bottom five at the end of the year this year. Uh, I kind of hope it does, only because I don't want to see films worse than this, but this was really really a huge letdown and uh, I'm back to 
being disappointed by M. Night Shyamalan, and I'm, I think I'm going to be real hesitant to want to go see whatever he's doing next. Um, yeah. Uh, I would give Glass... I would give Glass a 3 out of 10. Um, just if you liked the other two films and were hoping to uh, continue with that story, uh, honestly, you may want to skip it. I mean, if you're a fan of those films, you're probably going to see this anyways, but yeah, it was dreadful. And if you if you haven't seen either of the other two films, um, I can't imagine how this would hold up as a standalone film, but uh, yeah, it's thoroughly unsatisfying. Uh, the next movie I saw was Vox Lux, which is uh, written and directed by Brady Corbett, who I guess is mostly known as an actor, but uh, stars Natalie Portman and Jude Law. And um, it's this was this was a movie when I heard about it uh, late last year. I was interested in seeing it. I had seen the preview, and it looked interesting to me. Um, Natalie Portman plays Celeste Montgomery, who is a pop star, and uh, you know. Didn't know much else other than that, other than there was some violence, uh, some, you know, there's, there was at least one shooting in the, in the film, you know, got that from the trailer. Um, what I didn't know till seeing this is that Natalie Portman, while she is the lead, um, she only plays Celeste as an adult. Uh, Rafi Cassidy plays young Celeste from 14 to 16, uh, and then in the second half of the film, you know, it jumps from 2004 to 2017. Uh, so, you know, a 13 year jump. Um, and in 2017, she plays Albertine, who is Celeste's daughter, which, you know, a bit of, bit of trick casting, but it's, it's distracting. It's, it's not interesting. Um, and, you know, Natalie Portman literally doesn't show up into this film until uh 55 minutes into the film and it's you know it's a it's a one hour and 50 minute film so literally at the halfway point she takes over um one of the biggest things that's distracting is uh so stacy martin uh she plays ellie the older sister of celeste and so she acts against rafi cassidy in the first half and then against natalie portman in the second half and uh, Rafi Cassidy is slightly taller than her and Natalie Portman is much shorter than her. So there's no explanation as to how Celeste, you know, Natalie Portman's character sh- shrinks over the course of 13 years. I mean, that's, that's not a very important point, but it's also part of why it's so distracting. Um, also, um, I haven't seen Rafi Cassidy in anything else, but she gives a very wooden performance and to have the first half of the film anchored by her, it's just a huge letdown. The other thing is there's, so there's three tragedies, uh, two of which, well, one of which is a real, real life tragedy. And then one that is a thinly veiled representation of another tragedy. And then a third one, which is as far as I know, just made it for the film are used for to, to, to move the plot along further in this film, but then does very little with it. The first is a school shooting uh, where Celeste ends up being the only survivor of a shooting in her classroom, and it's set in the same year that the Columbine massacre actually occurred and was set up in a very similar way. 
And then um, the September 11th attacks uh, has it plays a part later. And then uh, in the 2017 timeline, there is another shooting where they use um, costumes from a video of Celeste's uh, to, you know, the, the shooters are dressed this way. And it's never really explained, and there's no real emotional payoff for it, which feels really cheap, particularly... Um, the Columbine and the September 11th uh, tragedies because it's taking real, you know, it's basically preying on people's real emotions surrounding those events to move a plot forward. Um, there's also, it, it's it's strange because this doesn't feel like a film. It feels like two um, episodes of a TV show with several episodes missing in between because there's so much detail paid to a lot of minutia in the first half. And then all of a sudden it jumps 13 years and we don't get to see any of the buildup to that. And then, uh, any relationship that any of the other characters have between each other, it's all, uh, explained in exposition. It's not shown because we've obviously lost a lot of their lives together in the time jump. And it's just real lazy writing. And, uh, you know, being a fan of Natalie Portman, this performance, you know, has, has gotten some, um, praise, but her, her Long Island accent is fairly distracting in this. It's somewhat is supposed to add to the character, but I mean, the biggest thing is, uh, Ravy Cassidy doesn't have it in the first half. Uh, like I said, she has a very wooden performance and uh, Natalie Portman's sort of overacting in this. So it, it doesn't feel like the same person one bit. The only thing that they do to make them seem like the same person is uh, Natalie Portman has a couple moles on her face and they've used makeup to put them on Ravy Cassidy's face in the beginning. So um, yeah, th- this was a really disappointing film as well. Uh, not, not, not as disappointing as glass, but I would give, um, Vox Lux a a five out of 10. You know, I was even looking forward to the fact that, uh, Sia, the Australian pop singer wrote original songs for it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of her recent work in the last few years and, uh, none of these songs are really memorable at all. It was just kind of uh, meh pop. So, yeah, I, I can't really recommend Vox Lux either. The next film that I saw was uh, The Plague Dogs. Or actually, no, I'm going to talk about Watership Down first. So, uh, a little, little personal history. So, Watership Down, the novel by Richard Adams, uh, is one of my favorite books of all time. You know, I've read it probably six times in my lifetime, starting when I was 12, uh, we even, you know, I was in a band in high school and a couple of years afterwards. And for a time we went by that name, we had actually reached out to the Richard Adams, uh, estate and got permission to use it. And I was a huge fan of the animated film that was made of it that came out in 1979. And, you know, I used to work at Best Buy and Blockbuster and Suncoast Video, all places that carried movies, and I always thought it was interesting that this was always put in the family films section because while it is an animated film, it is not designed for children. It's 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 very 
graphic with violence and, you know, depression and, uh, you know, animals being mistreated both by humans and by each other. But, um, yeah, so I was tentatively excited for this, this, uh, new version on Netflix. It was a co-production with Netflix and the BBC and had a lot of, you know, uh, kind of a who's who of, uh, voice actors, uh, from England. Uh, again, James McAvoy, uh, played Hazel, the lead in this, uh, Nicholas Holt was in it. John Boyega, Ben Kingsley did the voice of uh, general Woundwort. Uh, Tom Wilkinson, let's see, Olivia Coleman, Mackenzie Crook. Uh, a lot of people know him from either the British version of The Office or the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Um, Taron Egerton, uh, let me see other names, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Rory Kinnear, uh, Rosman Pike, you know, a lot of people, Adewale Akinoya Ajbahe, which... I'm sure I butchered his name, but, uh, you know, a lot of people know him from the HBO show Oz and he also played Mr. Echo on Lost, but, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of great voice acting. And, you know, this was a four part series that each of the episodes were about 50 minutes long, you know, five, zero minutes long. So, um, you know, it was, it was about three and a half hours altogether. Um, and this is, it's computer animation, not traditional hand-drawn animation. So, uh, I love the voice cast in this. Um, they did some different things with this from the, the original film because it was longer, they were able to delve more into the, the plot of the book. Cause that, the original film is under two hours. So it's, this is almost twice as long, but, uh, and they did a reasonable job. Um, you know, there was more exploration of Ephrafa, the uh, sort of the military touristic uh, warren that General Woundwort heads up. Um, but uh, there was, was still a lot of the book that's cut out. And, you know, because there's so many characters in this, it's difficult to give them equal, equal time. Uh, nor, nor should you, because obviously some are more important than others. But um, uh, the biggest thing that was distracting for me and ultimately made this a less than fantastic uh, experience was uh, the computer animation was very cold, very clinical. Um, it just didn't feel alive to me. It, it looks like I've described it to people as watching someone play a video game and there's story elements in between the playing modes. It looks very much like one of those scenes. And, you know, uh, it just, it doesn't look like real rabbits. And, you know, the animation in the original one drew me in more. Cause I'm like, like I've said on this podcast before, I am a huge fan of hand-drawn animation. So, uh, I'm not a hundred percent opposed to, uh, computer animated illustrations it, when they're done, right. It's great. But, yeah, there was just sort of a lack of spark. None of these seemed alive to me. It just it seemed like someone had created a rabbit program in a computer and then they uh, let it run, uh, which was disappointing. It's too bad because um, I think that this could have been an amazing step up from the original. Uh, the original is flawed, but I still really enjoy it. Um, and so, yeah, and this did not replace it in my mind as the, you know, the film equivalent or the film version of, 
Watership Down. So I would give this series probably a 6 out of 10. If you're a fan of Watership Down, it's certainly worth watching. Uh, but it is not the definitive version. I mean, I don't know if one will ever be made. Um, I, you know, I'm not one of those people that always says, oh, the book is, was so much better. But um, the book is a very different experience than this possibly could be as a film or as a television work. So, uh, And then the last film that I saw was The Plague Dogs, which is a 1982 animated film uh, based on another novel by Richard Adams. It was written and directed by Martin Rosen, who had directed the animated version of Watership Down three years before. And I thought I had seen The Plague Dogs when I was younger. Um, it must have been on HBO that I saw it because from the supplemental material that was on this Blu-ray, found it, it literally only played in one theater in the United States, a theater in Seattle. And um, God, this is a dark, dark film. Uh, you know, I had read the book, knew the story. It, 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 in a nutshell, there are two dogs who escape from a vivisection lab in the countryside of England and spend the next two and a half months trying to survive as wild animals. Uh, you know, a, a fox helps them to hunt, but through a series of mishaps, they're accidentally in the, involved in the deaths of several humans. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very dark. It's very bleak. Um, uh, you know, I, I said, I, I don't know, but this may be the bleakest film I've ever seen. If, if you are sensitive to, you know, animals being abused, mistreated, there's several scenes of animals, um, uh, being experimented upon, um, being tortured. Um, you know, it, even with animation, it was hard to watch. Um, there's also, you know, several scenes where animals are mutilating other animals. Um, so, you know, it's really, I can't think of anyone that I could recommend this film to. I mean, it is a, technically it's a well-made film, although the animation style is wildly uneven and in the supplemental material, um, Martin Rosen revealed that several of the animators quit over a period of time and they had to be replaced and it explains why different parts of the film look different. And it's just, it's not really that cohesive and the, uh, the animation is not quite what, uh, what it was in Watership Down. He also explains in retrospect, he said, you know, I honestly don't know why I made this film. I don't know who this is for. It's, it's a pretty, pretty bleak film, which was my, my, uh, synopsis of the film as well. So, um, you know, I posted about it on social media last week and a couple of people said they seemed interested in seeing it and, you know, by all means, watch whatever movies you want, but it's really tough for me to recommend. It was well made, but I, I, I never want to watch it again. I didn't enjoy it. Um, uh, you know, tough to rate a film like that because technically it was, well made, but it's just, it's such a upsetting experience. You know, I would probably give the plague dogs a four out of 10. So this is kind of a weird episode. This is the first one where there were no films that I really loved, but you know, I see enough movies that hopefully soon enough, I will see something that I really do like. So I appreciate you tuning in and listening and I will talk to you again soon. 
Bye.